Previously heard on Good Hope FM. The writer of Numai Scully is John W. Fredericks. I went to go see it yesterday. I'm going to encourage all of you listening to the show right now to go and see Numai Scully. Whether you've lived on the Cape Flats um, or whether you're in Cape Town for a few months or maybe you've just moved to Cape Town, uh, go and see that movie. It is very, very good. John W. Fredericks joins us now. John, good morning and welcome to the show, sir. Hello. Are you well, John? I'm good, man. John, so many questions. We don't have a lot of time. I want to start right at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I grew up in Kewtan in Athlon. It was called Zone A that time. It's Kewtan Primary now. What was Kewtan like back in the early 50s, late 50s? I would call it like a, like a western town. Dust everywhere. Boots and buckles. Horse carts. Dustmen. You know, I grew up in a town. And I refused them. We had no heroes. Our idols were these old street fighters who fought the battles, you know, in the streets of our town. And many of us wanted to be like that. You know, we aspired to be like that. For some, rose above that. For others, it became the rest of passage, leaving behind a legacy of broken hearts and shattered dreams. Yeah, and I always, I took the wrong turning and I ended up in prison. But I was a very good storyteller. And uh, when they wanted to initiate, initiate me to the number, I refused. I declined, and they wanted to know what I got to offer. So you can be a barber, you can be a can be a, a tailor or something like that, but you work for the number. So what could I do for the number? I could read, and I could write, and I could tell stories. So the actors, they found it funny. But then they said, right, you can tell a story, you can tell a good story, and you can be sort of like the cinema to up them, push their time. So well, that first night, it was like, I was like frozen stiff, and all this heckling going on, you know, and because there were no juvenile. Section, we were thrown into there with the adults. There wasn't a Portsmouth prison then. It was the old Portsmouth prison, and we laid the foundation of that Portsmouth prison. So my blood and my sweat and my tears lies buried in the foundation of that, of that place. So that helped me save my butt, to put it that way, telling stories. John W. Fredericks has joined us now, the writer of Numei Scully. It's on um, at cinemas across Cape Town, cinemas across South Africa, up for um, an Oscar, the best foreign language film. And uh, John um, is going to tell us his story um, in a couple of minutes. Um, bef- you know, as as we reach eight o'clock, um, we, we have tons of questions for John. There's no doubt we're going to get John on again. John, this. Working for the number, the number gang or the numbers gang, does it still continue today in prison? It still continues today, it's still. But you know what? In that time, the number it fought for the rights of, of, of prisoners, you know? But today, the number is almost like a franchise. Everybody got a number. Everybody can write on the walls. That wasn't the number. Like that. You couldn't get a number on the outside. You couldn't get a number on a waiting trial. You had to have a sentence. And it's like you're joining a fan club. The number will look for you. No more soup for you. If they see, if they see you got something, they they want you in the in the gang, whatever whatever number. So they vying like like you can be a soldier with a 26, or you can be a 28. But also there's two kinds of 28s and the 27s, you know. But for me, it's the same difference. You know, I you see when I was a kid, the old gang that used to send us to buy their their, their, their marijuana at the at the merchants, and then we got the chance to hang out with them to listen to their stories of the criminal escapades of prison life and things like that. And I learned a lot from them, you know. And I learned that you don't take anything from other convicts in prison. And I also learned that you don't have to take the number. You know, if you can push your number without, you push your time without taking a number, 
you'll be better off because the number is going to follow you for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you're old or whatever you're achieving life. If the number comes knocking, so if you're an asset for the number, the number's call you, going to call you back every time. going to call you back because you're an asset. You, you, you're a good soldier or what, whatever. You, can, you work outside for the number, but it's all about the number. If you even have got your own business and they come to you, they want something from you, you are going to give because you are pledged allegiance to that gang, you know. And today, even young kids, you know, they're tattooed, full of tattoos and stuff like that. Where are they going to? They will never get a decent job. They will be a laborer for the rest of their lives. Luckily, I did not take the number. I've got a few tattoos. I mean, I was 14 years old when I was arrested for the first time. And I got six lashes. And I was labeled a scholar. Mm. I was half year in 2007 and I was expelled, right? When I was 15, I was arrested again. Twice in the same year. And then I got my first tattoo, Mr. Crime, on my forearm. Now, imagine, you got the Mr. Crime tattoo, you're 14 years old. They stare up at my parents. And uh, when I was 17 years old, I had already been arrested five times. I had 30 lashes behind my back. And I got status. Because the government gave you status. Every lash, the more lashes you have, it's almost like you, you, you're being promoted. You know, you're a tough guy, you can take it and stuff like that. But, I mean... When I was 17, I was caught inside the shop. And there wasn't like time for not guilty. You are guilty because you caught red-handed. That's when I got sentenced to two years in prison. So you spent two years in, in, in prison, um, uh, John. Uh, John W. Fredericks has joined us now. Right off Numei Scully, you've got to go and see this movie. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, so you spent two years in prison. Then you came out. And then um, there was a murder charge uh, that was dropped how did you survive after the, after the murder charge was dropped? How did you survive financially, emotionally? Because you, you also talk about, um, you know, the number follows you. Did anybody try to follow you after you ratted on, um, not ratted, but you, you, you turned away from um, gangsterism and you, you made that speech in court? You know, uh, to, to change, it's not easy. Because society seldom or never forgives. The number didn't follow me. But the peer pressure, the friends, they were there. They peer pressure because now I've got more status, actually, you know. And if anything happens, you must be there in the forefront, you know. And it's difficult. It's difficult to get out of the gangs because you sign the pact. Like, once you're in, you're in. And there's no way out, right? So I met this girl, you know, actually. Yeah, this girl. I'm actually married to this girl now for 50 years. It's an incredible story. I love it. Yeah. You know, the first night I was came out of prison and... uh you know, then the years of whistles of the calls of the guys calling you from scum. They're calling you. And eventually I went there and stuff like that. And then I saw this girl there. Never met her before. She actually came to her uncle's who stayed in the area there. And uh, so we were totally telling there because we were celebrating, you know. Two of us came to the prison and advert. And so on the opposite alley there, other guys from Cape Town, they came to also the guys stay there. So they were actually like gambling, playing dice, you know. So one of my friends went over there and he got into the game. And a few seconds later, we started hitting him, you know. And that's when we all like grabbed weapons because our weapons were just very hidden around the corner there. And, and we were rushing. I had an action man. And as I ran past those girls sitting on the porch, he reckoned to me, Jonge, I can't say no, we're doing to cover the home Like, you just came out of prison today. Where are you going to? And that moment, I just saw like a turning point, right? And I ran home, actually, put the eggs down, and I went to sleep. After two years, being away from home, I got into bed on a Saturday night, early, for the first time. And, uh, yeah, 
I thought about this moment for a long time. And then I met up with her again. And, uh, yeah. But the thing is, she was younger than I am. I'm my ex-con. Now, she was the poster girl, well-liked girl from Harvey Village. Now, and she invited me to home. Now, you imagine, an ex-con with the, with the stitch and hat and the sagging pants coming with this young girl to their place in Harvey. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, they didn't like me at all. It's putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. But you see, like the immigration says, listen to my story before you call me schooling, mm-hmm. you know. Because something happened in my life when I was very young on the refuse dump. Something that lied very deep in my mind and in my heart, you know, and that's why I really want to tell the story. Does that still haunt you today, John, that that scene that we saw at the refuse dump? Do you, do you, do you still think about it? No, I don't. I don't. You see, because that guy died. Uh, I mean, I didn't kill him, but he died. He was, you know, he died on one lonely night, as to put it mildly. I wasn't there. I didn't know what happened. But that's it. I don't think about it. Just for me to tell the story, because this, that story was so deep, buried. When, while I was writing, I, I, it took me 14 years to complete this whole thing. 14 years with one finger. But as I was writing the story, and I was going back, rolling back the curtain of memories, that came to the surface. And that's where I realize. That's why I changed like that. John, I've, I've got to ask you, and we, we, we must get you on again, because um, this, this story is obviously fascinating on, on many, many levels, but in less than 30 seconds, because we, we, we're actually going to be late with the news now, but uh, um, John W. Fredericks has joined us. He's the writer of Numai Scully. The chaps that were involved in the death of your mom, do you know what happened to them? Yeah. You see, there was a, there's something that isn't there in the, in the film. There was a shootout, you know, and uh, the one guy got uh, paralyzed. Mr. C, and the other one was killed. Uh, he, he got killed, and Mr. C was paralyzed. So no happy ending for him. John W. Fredericks, many, many thanks for your time this morning. There's no doubt in my mind we are going to chat to you again. Fingers crossed for that Oscar next year. Uh, well done to, da- to Darren Joshua as well. Uh, absolute pleasure talking to you, John. Thank you, man. Thank you, John. Thank you. John W. Fredericks there. He's the writer of Nume Scully. Uh, my apologies to Sherlyn Barnes and uh, her team. We're a little late with the news. This is Good Up FM with Nigel Pierce, and no lie, there's certainly no lies about uh, John W. Fredericks and his life. Um, it's been documented in a movie called Nume Scully. You've got to go and see it. Take your kids to go and see it. He joins us again this morning. John, good morning and welcome to the show, sir. Good morning. John, you've been married for 50 years. Do you That's have right. kids? I've got six kids. One died on my birthday in 2012. And uh, they're all flying high. How did the one die in uh, 2012? Well, he was assaulted in his home in Durban, in Melbourne. And uh, the guy is still walking around. So, you know, the, you know, the hatred was very, very deep. Because my walker I was, don't touch my family. Don't. But now he died in Durban, you know. And that walker I sense rings echo in my mind, you know. And uh, there was a murmur among friends of mine that, to take a posse down to Durban. But, uh, you know, I heard about this whole thing. So I stepped in and said, there no more bloodshed. They're justice take a course. But anyway, <clears throat> the guy's walking around free, but justice will take his course. I have to believe that. I just got hope. On Friday morning, I was picked up by a colonel, five, in the police force. And the people I thought had been arrested in this, when I got in this police car. Anyway, we went to, we went to, to Grabo. I was on the radio station there. And on our way there, 
I told him about this, you know, about my son's death and so on. And he looked at me and said, me, uh, just find me all the papers, you know, paper trail and so on. So there's hope. Mm. There's hope. 7.53, this is Good Up FM with Nigel Pierce. John W. Fredericks has uh, joined us now. The movie Nume Scully is based on his life. John, we know that your friends, three friends, were hanged in Pretoria. What happened to some of the other men that were in the cell with you? Do you know if they're still alive? No, they're all gone. All dead and buried. Most of them died violently. Some died in prison. And yeah, I've still got a lot of people I know. I wouldn't call them gangsters. Mm. You know, because they got names. So whenever anybody comes from international filmmakers, they, they want to follow me on the Cape Flats. They're looking for guns, gangs, and numbers. I will take them there. You know, I, they will get their thrill of fear, but they will be safe. And yeah, there's also boundaries when they take you there. Stay close to me. Don't move away from me. You know, because these guys, they can be nice, but they see you, you're a whitey and you're a foreigner. They will try to smooth talk you. Mm. I'll show you something around the corner. That's a bad idea. Don't come with heels. Don't come with slip-slops. Tie up. Have shoelaces. You can tie it up because sometimes you have to move very quickly and never show any money. And don't come with a flashy car. You know, I've worked on a lot of productions internationally. Some very tight corners where people act stupid when they don't listen to my rules. Some have tried to go, go, go it on their own and they were hijacked. And then they called me like they've been like hijacked and I... What must I do now? I told you not to go in the ghettos without me. But you think you're smart, mm. so that's your, your problem. John, I, I have to ask you, what happened to Gums? What happened to Timer? What happened to Titi and her child? Well, I've lost the track of Titi because Titi will me up you. Probably my age. Mm. I don't know if she's still alive. And uh, yeah, all of, I mean, that guys were old. I was young when they were old already. Yeah. So I was 71 on Friday, so they must be very, very old. So I don't think they're still around, you know, because I, why would they keep contact with them? I would avoid these people like a plague, mm. you know. I don't want to be, yeah. they bad memories, you know, so. John, t- tell me, h- how do we stop, how do we diminish the rape and the violence on the Cape Flats? Because you you now do work in, in prisons as well. Yeah, you know, when working in prison, you find that kids with great team that can't read or write. Now, what happened to that all these years? I'll tell you what happened. I worked at six schools in the Alphys, at five schools, high schools, and we made six films, right? And you know, the, the, the kids that give me to work with was the most rowdy kids. Some of them smoke dacha before they come to school. They even drink beers, and they're boisterous, and the teachers don't want them in the class. So when we came along, they gave us all these kids to work with. Now, it's difficult to work with kids like that. It's the one next silly joke everybody else laughs it takes you more than half an hour just to to meet them in the mind you know what i'm saying because the teeth that's why they can't read or write because every year they could put over into the next class because the teacher don't want them there let somebody else start with this boy that's why he gets to create great ten. and in prison i find they can't read or write or spell properly so it, it started at a very young age are you sure your kid went to school today Right? I see kids going to school uh, and uh, they need of nothing. They're on their way to school, but they're not going to school. They, they do what they want to do. Tonight, mommy comes home, they sit there with their books. They study. Do we ever check their books? If you see, be interested. You must be involved with your child. That's where it starts. 
reading and writing, reading opens your mind to other worlds and stuff like that. And matric is the first step you have to do. You have to guide your child. You have to set the other rules. You know, when I look at my children, they come to me, they've got a problem, and they, and they will tell me a lot of things, but I will look at them because I know them so well. And they will, and they, they will tell me, Daddy, you are looking at me again. I do. I, I, say, I do look at you because what do you really, really want to tell me? What is it that is bothering you? You see, and then they spill the beans, you know, because they are too shy to speak about something that happened. But you just take whatever comes forth, right? But if you know your children, you look into the deep into their eyes. Yeah? You actually look beyond, and you will see that cry for help. So you're you're saying just in summing up, John. Um, particularly around the the rape and the violence and the young men that you deal with, the young men on the Cape Flats, young men in the townships, it starts at home. It starts with the parents. Parents have got to take a keen interest in their child's schooling, in their in their in their children's lives. Exactly, exactly. Because all the kids in this close where I stay, I've stayed there for twenty seven years, and I've guided them. I watched them grow up. And one day the skip and he came home with a sagging pants. And I called him inside the office. I said to him, listen, why are you wearing your pants like that? He's my neighbor's child. But sometimes you see your, you, you see your neighbor's child growing up. You see he's turning bad, he's taking the wrong path. You don't worry. You don't care. He's not your child. But we must speak. You must take, you must care. You must stop and chat with him. You know? And you know what? That kid never wore saggy pants again. And that guy studied the- theology. You know? He's a minister today. He's a reverend. You know? It's about taking care of our children. Even our neighbor children. You know? We, because we don't, we don't talk anymore. Mm. We just wave. We must stop and take time to chat with the friend. You know, chat to your neighbors. You know? Greet. That's it. And one thing that I've learned in my thug life is that if we stand on the corner and you come past, we will always greet you. That's it. But if you don't greet back, you make yourself a target. That's it. John W. Fredericks, many, many thanks for your time this morning. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, the movie Nume Scully is based on his life. Darren Joshua, the director, joins us this coming Thursday morning. It's 8 o'clock. Hey, yo, check it out. Good Hope FM. Good Hope FM. Co. Now.